Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams begins a new series entitled Momentum. Prayer is always the catalyst for a great move of God. Brandon encourages us that prayer always begins with a recognition of God's greatness. Good morning. Everybody like roller coasters? Roller coasters, fun. Yeah, roller coasters, awesome. I'm um, glad you are here. If it's the first time here at Connection Church, man, we are extremely excited that you're here with us today. I want to welcome you. Also, I um, want to remind you of a couple of things. We're doing something we call 10K5 here at the church. Um, it's actually an emissions push that we're doing this year. Um, it'll actually be taking place. Our first group is going out in about two weeks. So uh, it's going to be awesome. They're headed down to Honduras. It's going to be an awesome trip. Um, where we get involved with this is, one, um, a lot of you are going, and we praise God for that. Um, but there's two other things that we all need to be doing. One is that we need to be praying, right? We need to be bathing uh, these, these trips in prayer that as, as the gospel goes forward, um, people come to know Christ, that they are strengthened and encouraged through Jesus and through his word. So we need to be praying. The other thing, listen, listen everybody can do is we can all give something, right? So I want to I wanna encourage you, listen, there are people who are going on these tri- trips who have committed to go who still need financial support. So today, if, if you feel led to do so, you ask God, God, do you want me to give? He says, yes, listen, just write a check, whatever the amount, whatever you can do, whatever gift you can use to send somebody on a trip, listen, write missions in the bottom and we'll apply it to the accounts that still need to raise funds. I'm really proud of these people who are going out and we want to support them in every way. So let's, let's pray as they, as they go and let's give as they go and let's help them to go out and share the gospel with people around the world. It's going to be an awesome, awesome thing when we get back in the fall and we can celebrate everything that God did through this church and through the people who went out uh, and who are willing to go and be the hands and feet of Christ throughout the world. Um, today, a little different. Some of y'all are like, what the heck's going on? Right, right? Because we normally do three songs, so, uh, or four songs, or five songs sometimes, and then we have a message. We're going to keep you on your toes, keep you guessing, keep you wondering what's going on, what's going to happen. Actually, there is a purpose to um, our madness here this morning and how crazy we're being by shifting things around. But, um, and we're going to continue to worship in song in a little bit. But um, I want to introduce to you this morning a new series that we're going into. The name of the series is actually Momentum. And if you have your Bibles, you can actually go ahead and turn them to Nehemiah chapter 1. Good luck um, finding that. And, uh, but if you turn to Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to read that chapter this morning. Um, I was reading this in my own quiet time a while back, and I came across this prayer. And it really just lit my heart up, man. And when I read this prayer, and I started seeing how Nehemiah prayed. And so we're going to be talking a lot about this in the next couple of weeks. Nehemiah chapter 1, we're actually going to read the whole chapter. Don't freak out. It's not that long. It's only, uh, let's see, 11 verses. So don't panic. It's all good. Um, and so we're going to read this prayer and the next six weeks we're going to spend talking about prayer. And, and this is what I believe. I believe that, that all spiritual momentum comes from prayer. I believe that, that the most arrogant thing we could possibly do as a church and as the people of God would be to think that we could somehow touch and change this world without connecting it with God through prayer. 
And so we're going to be looking at this, and, and my, my, my prayer is that we would become, man, a praying people, that we would truly begin to pray, to seek God, to pray for him to do big things. This is exactly what Nehemiah is doing in chapter one of this book. Man, he is, he's gone before God. You're going to see in a minute, Nehemiah, he's captive in, in a place called Babylon. He'd been taken captive. All the Jewish people, except for a small remnant, had been taken captive. There were still a few in Jerusalem. For the most part, they were all taken captive. Nehemiah gets a report from um, his cousin, brother, somebody. And and they say, listen, man, the the city is in ruins. The walls have fallen down. The city's in ruins. And and he he is literally brokenhearted. And he he begins to pray to God. And we're going to begin looking at this prayer. Because this is what I know. Jerusalem is considered to be um, the city of God. It was where, where, where God, um, his people were, and, and, and this, the walls were broken down, and it was in shambles. And Nehemiah goes back later, and he begins to rebuild this wall. This is the thing that I know about us. God has not called us to build a wall, but he's called us to build a kingdom. And if we're going to pray, if we're going to see this happen, we are going to have to be a praying people. How arrogant to think that we could do something of eternal value apart from God working in people's hearts and in people's lives and in our own lives. Before God does something great through us, he's going to do something great in us. And I believe that that's going to start with prayer. Momentum is simply a force of movement and spiritual momentum begins with prayer. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to jump in here. Everybody good? Everybody wait? We ready to go? Everybody excited? You look like you're excited. It's cool. Hey, um, um, we missed last Sunday. Kind of feels like we've been gone for like two years. You know what I'm saying? Like we missed one Sunday. I feel like we haven't done this in like a, a couple of years now. But last Sunday was awesome. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 11. And uh, bear with me through some of these words and names. I do not know why they named places and children some of these names. But we're going to get through them. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakalim. <clears throat> in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with, his, with, those, love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even your exiled people are at, who are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer 
to the king. Let's pray. Lord, God, we come to you right now and just ask that you, Lord, would do an incredible work in this place, that you, Lord, would do an incredible work in our hearts. God, today, as we look at your greatness and who you are, Father, I pray that our eyes would be open to see who you are, to see the greatness of who you are. God, that our hearts would be open to receive your message and that God, recognizing and seeing and just grasping a little bit of your greatness, God, I pray that it would be a catalyst that moves us into a great movement of prayer. Do something great in us so that you can do something great through us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you this question real quick. How many of you know that I went to the Masters a couple of weeks ago. Anybody know that? Have I talked about, I don't know if I've mentioned that to y'all or not, um, but I did, I did. I went to the Masters a few weeks ago, whenever the Masters was back in early April, and um, had an awesome time. But one of the things that was really, really, really cool for me was I got to see Tiger Woods. Now granted, 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 not going to win husband or father of the year, right? That's a given. But arguably the greatest golfer that's ever played the game. And so we happen to be walking by the first tee box and when Tiger comes out to, to tee off and, um, you know, they walk from the practice screen over to the first tee and everybody's lined up and, you know, I'm thinking it's going to be like 20, 30, 40 people deep. This is on Friday at the Masters. I'll never be able to see, see Tiger Woods. And all of a sudden it was as if the seas parted and the heavens were singing and rejoicing and I saw a line straight up to the ropes I mean, like almost right where he's walking through. I'm like, there's my opportunity. And so I go running up and I get up to the ropes. And then pretty soon, sure enough, Tiger Woods comes walking by me. Like literally from probably about from me to the black box right there on the table. We'll get to that thing later. It does have a purpose, I promise. Um, and, and he's about that far from me. And so I'm, I literally had this thought, I could run out there and touch him. <laughs> but there was a very large gentleman between me and Tiger that I felt pretty sure was not going to let me run out and touch him and so I'm standing there and I'm looking at Tiger and I'm kind of in awe because it's almost like the ropes at the masters separate two worlds it's like us and then you know what I'm saying it's like it's just this huge difference and so you, you know you don't cross the ropes or you die like going in the holy of holies, you know what I mean? And so you just we're standing back and I'm watching I'm like wow this is incredible and I get to see him hit it and then you know he does the whole lets the club go because he hit a bad shot all that kind of stuff and and I'm watching this but it's like wow I'm in the I'm, I am literally standing a few feet away from possibly the greatest golfer in the world and then I had this thought I'm like if I can recognize greatness in a man who slept with 13 women or whatever we don't really know do we around the world and I can recognize greatness in this man this easily. Shouldn't I be able to recognize the greatness of the God of the universe? Really, come on. Shouldn't I be able to recognize, if I can recognize greatness in a man who hits a little white ball with a stick. I don't even, it's not a sport. I, I'm pretty, it's not a sport. It's, okay, I'm sorry. Some, got some golfers down here. But if I can recognize greatness in a man who plays a sport, who has done the things he's done. Shouldn't, doesn't, I mean, doesn't it just make sense that I should be able to recognize the greatness of the God of the universe? And where this is important is this. 
Until we recognize his greatness, until we recognize how amazing he really is, our prayer life will not be consistent. Until we recognize the privilege that we have of going to the God of the universe and spending time in a conversation with him, spending time talking to him, we will never pray consistently. But I also know this, once our eyes are open to the greatness of who he is so that we can recognize the greatness of our God, we will want to spend time in prayer. We'll want to see him. We'll want to know him. We'll want our, the cry of our heart will literally be God. I only want to know you more. And so here today, I don't believe the fact of the matter is God is great and God is good. Didn't we used to pray that all the time when we were kids? A lot of us, God is great. God is good. Let us sing him for food. By his hands we are fed, give us Lord our daily bread. I'm in. Right? But isn't God great? Isn't God good? And, and the fact of the matter is, yes, he is great and he is good. So I believe the question we need to answer here this morning is not is God great or is, his, is he good, but how can we miss his greatness and his goodness? How can we possibly miss it? Because this is what I realize, and this is what Nehemiah starts with in his prayer, is that until we get to a place where we recognize his greatness and goodness, we'll never consistently go to God in prayer. But once we have that revelation of who he is and what he's about and what he's done in our lives, then we will consistently pray because he is great. And the greatest privilege we can possibly have is going before God's throne with boldness. Because of his grace. And so today, I want to answer real quickly three things that I believe most people struggle with. Maybe not all of them, but at least one of them that we're going to talk about today. That hinders us from seeing clearly the greatness of God. And I pray, the Bible tells us that the God of this world has blinded many people's eyes. And literally my prayer this morning has been that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, would remove those blinders. So that we can see how great he actually is. That we could just get a glimpse of, of who he is. Because just a taste of the goodness of God is enough to totally and radically, radically change our lives forever. The first thing I want to tell you, I believe that we, man, we get blinded by his greatness is simply this, that we take the greatness of God for granted. When Nehemiah begins to pray, listen to what he prays. It's down in, in verse five. It says, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He knows who he's praying to. He's like, God, we're in captivity. Things are in ruins. My life is far from perfect. But when I sit back and I look at who you are and I look at your creation and I look at everything around me, I'm like, the good, the great, the awesome God. And he begins his prayer right here, the great and awesome God. But so many times we take God's greatness for granted because shouldn't the greatness of God, the one who created all and holds all together, be something that is easily seen? Somehow we have taken everything around us, everything God's done so many times, and I'm guilty of it too, taking for granted what God has done to the point where I lose sight of his greatness. How many of y'all remember getting a new pair of tennis shoes when you were a kid? Anybody? Was that not awesome? Like getting a new pair of shoes. It seems like we buy a new pair of shoes. We've got three boys. It's like we buy a new pair of shoes every other week. 
But getting a new pair of shoes was so cool. Because when you put them on, you're like, I know I can run faster now. Right? I did it when I was a kid. I'd put on the new pair of shoes and I'd be like, mama, count. You know, and I'd take off running around the yard and she'd be counting like one, two. And and I know this because I'm a parent. Once they get out of hearing distance, you quit counting. And then when they come back around and they get back to you, you're like 31, 32. You know, and so, but, but, but you thought, man, I can run so much faster. Well, I had the same pair of tennis shoes for about two years. This is here recently. Had the same pair of tennis shoes for about two years. Man, um, these things were old. And I finally got a new pair. I'd put insoles in these old ones, like trying to give them more cushion. I, I'd tighten them up, you know, because if you're like me, you get lazy and you just slip them off and on. You know what I'm saying? You don't untie them. And so I'd, I'd put, I'd tighten them up, the laces on them, trying to hold them together. Um, I, I had washed them in the washing machine, trying to clean them up and make them look better. And then finally, like two years in, I'm like, man, I need a new pair of tennis shoes. I went to the store, which was an adventure in and of itself, trying to pair, find a pair of tennis shoes that were just like one color. You know what I mean? I, I just want like one color. That's all I need. And, and I finally found a pair. I, I put them on literally in the store and I had to hide my emotions from the guy who was selling me the shoes because I was like, oh my gosh. These feel so good. And he was like, you want to try the other one? I was like, oh yes, I do. And so I put them both on and I looked at him and I was like, count. And I took off and I I didn't didn't really do that. But I wanted to because I was like, wow, these things are so amazing. They feel so good. But what's crazy is how much time I had spent when when I was trying to, to put insoles in them. I was trying to tighten them up. I was trying to clean them up. I was trying to make those things comfortable. I was doing everything I could to make that comfortable. When the fact of the matter was, they were broken. They were washed up. They were done. And I thought about how many times our lives are like that, where we try to do everything we can to create these creature comforts. We try to put insoles into our lives to cushion them. We do everything we can to try to hold our lives together. And we've convinced not only other people that we can hold our lives together, but some of us have even convinced ourselves that we can hold our lives together. And the fact of the matter is you can't. You can't tighten it up all you want to. Your life would fall apart if not for the grace of God. It would fall apart. And this is the amazing thing about God. that he holds us together. And he has, he's held this thing together for millions of years or however many years. And he's held it together. And you can't clean yourself up. These tennis shoes, I could wash them, they were still nasty. You can clean yourself up all you want to, but you can't make yourself clean. That's the job of God. Only God does that. And he did it through his son who came and lived his life perfectly because you and I can't. And then he went to a cross and he took the punishment that our sin deserves and he made us clean. 
And the Bible says that all things were created through Jesus and nothing was created apart from him. And now he holds it all together. The problem for many of us is that we're living a life of, it's a lie. And the reason it's a lie is because we're acting like it's comfortable. We're acting like we've got our junk together. We're acting like everything's okay. And it's really falling apart. And we've convinced other people we can hold it together, but we know we're frazzled. We know we're at the end of our rope. And the reason is because you're trying to hold something together that you weren't meant to hold together and it's time to lay down that facade and that fakeness and it's time to come to the Lord and say God I need you I need you I can't hold this together anymore I can't do this anymore I can't clean me up Lord I can't stop sleeping with my girlfriend I can't stop sleeping with my boyfriend I can't quit shacking up I can't quit hitting the bottle I can't quit hitting the crack pipe I'm having thoughts about having adultery on my wife hey God I need help it's okay it's okay listen we are jacked up people We all have thoughts. We all have feelings. The reality of it is, though, that we have a God who has poured his grace out on every one of us in so many ways that if we didn't take it for granted, if we hadn't surrounded ourselves with so many creature comforts, then we begin to worship the hand that made those things instead of the hand that made everything. If we hadn't begun to take it for granted then we could see the greatness of what God's already done for us. And listen, there are people in here right now, I know you're not a Christian. You don't even believe in God, much less believing that some man came to earth. He was fully God and fully man and died on a cross for you and that he gave up his life. You you don't believe, I understand that and you're not all Christians. But listen to this, let me explain this to you. If God's presence ceased to exist from among us, we would die right now. Because even the very breath you have in your body and the fact that you can inhale and exhale is a gift from God. And we need to come to the realization of what he's done. We've gotten so good at trying to clean ourselves up. And listen to me, church, we're the worst. We think because we come to church, somehow we're going to be perfect. We're not. We're not perfect. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't do it. And we need to remember, like, you can get your life together. You can quit smoking, drinking, chewing. You can quit doing all those things, gamble, whatever it is, whatever that vice, whatever it is, you're still dirty. Apart from the grace of God. I want you to understand, you can throw on the best clothes and the most most Mary Kay you can find. But underneath it, you're still a sinner that is hopeless apart from the grace of God. But once the grace of God has entered our life, it changes everything. We don't become perfect, but we're moving towards it. We, we, we don't become perfect, but we become better because we're walking with the Lord. And Jesus has poured out his grace on us. One of the reasons, man, that we struggle so much to see God's greatness is we take it for granted. We take for granted the grace that he's already abundantly poured out on us. And listen, we see it as something not that has been given to us, but something that was owed to us. Oh my gosh. If you've got kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We surprised our kids, took them up to a Braves game on Thursday. I was like, man, they'll love this. They did. And it was all cool till the ride home. And then it started again, whining. 
Oh, I can't get this. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. You ever had that moment where you thought your head was going to spin around like exorcist? I was like, what do you mean? We just took you to a Braves game. We let you stay out of school. You're going to whine and complain. Do you know what? We're the same way. God has given us so many gifts, so many good things in this world. And so many times we feel like it's somehow owed to us. We're the most entitled people on the face of the planet. And this is the deal, guys. God owes us nothing. In fact, if God gave us what we owe, what he owes us, we'd all be dead. It's because of his mercy and his grace that he's poured out upon our lives that we can even live. And the greatness of God is seen in that grace, that life every day that you and I are able to live. I want you to understand something real, real quick, real quick. Listen to me. Praying is the greatest privilege that we have. It's better than a new house, a new car. It's better than a a new boyfriend. It's better than anything, any other privilege we could possibly fathom. Prayer tops them all. Do you realize we get to talk to the creator of the universe? And we get to hear the creator speak back. He is a living God. And see, I know flags went up in people's mind like, how do you hear God? Listen, I'll be honest with you, I have never heard the audible voice of God. Never. If I did, I think I would, I think that I, well, I can't say what I would probably do, but I think that I would flip my lid. Can you imagine? The audible voice of God. This is what I would tell you that God speaks to my heart. I know when he impresses things upon my heart, whether I'm reading his word, whether I'm just riding in my truck, talking to him and praying and listening. One of the things I hear people say all the time is they're like, I keep asking God for this answer, but I just still don't know what to do. And then I'll ask them, have you listened? And they're like, look, deer in the headlights. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, no, Hatton. Wow, I need to do that. Yeah, listen. God speaks to our hearts. When I teach my own children how to pray, they're like, Daddy, how do I pray? How do I talk to God? I'm like, son, just like you're talking to me. Don't overcomplicate it. It's a conversation that we should be thankful we get to have. Because God didn't have to allow us to come to him in prayer. And listen, your prayer life is not going to look like my prayer life. It's going to look different. I watched my own two older boys as they're beginning to pray and explore prayer and and, and begin to understand who God is. At night, I'll go in there and I'll pray for them. And then I'll say, guys, I want you, now I want you to say your prayers. It's always a trip, man. You don't ever know what you're going to get. Well, from Dake, Dake Dake is the one who is all internal. He'll go, okay, daddy. He'll roll over and he'll say his prayers to himself talking to God just inside Jackson on the other hand future preacher will lay there for a second and then Jackson will say dear God thank you for my house and my dog and my mama and my daddy and my brother and my other brother and, and, and he goes and he prays this prayer. And, and, and it's so awesome to sit there and listen to him and to think about my son is talking to God. How cool is that? 
But it's simple. Don't overcomplicate it. It's a conversation between you and the creator of the universe. But also don't take it for granted. What an awesome privilege that because of Jesus, we can go boldly before God's throne of grace. What an amazing privilege. A lot of my prayer time takes place in his word. God speaks to me through his word, through situations that I have. Susan is more of the one, should we get together and she wants to pray out loud together and that's awesome. And listen, that was the most awkward thing I'd ever done in my life when I first came to know Christ and I first started living for Jesus. And Susan was like, well, let's pray together. I was like, no, it's weird. Can we just be honest? It's just for some of us, it's just weird. It's just an awkward thing to just pray, especially with the people you're closest to. I could walk into a room full of 500, 600 people and pray, no problem. But when it's just me and my wife who knows me, it's just weird. Do you know how you do it? You just do it. You just push through the awkwardness. You know how you pray with your child that you've never prayed with before? You just do it. You just walk in and say, son, I know this is going to be weird. It's going to be weird for me too, but we're going to pray. And we just do it. And the reality of it is, it's the greatest privilege that we have. Don't overcomplicate it, but don't take it for granted. Trust Jesus. Trust that, man, you can go to God through him and God will hear your prayers. Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. And I want you to understand that we can't take, listen, this whole entitlement thing, it has got to go. We need to realize the greatness of the privilege we have in knowing God. I want you to understand this, the difference between being spoiled and being blessed is gratitude. The difference between being spoiled and being blessed is gratitude. God pours out grace upon grace in our lives, blessing upon blessing in our lives. Are we spoiled or are we blessed? Do we thank him for it? Or we just believe he owes it to us. This is the thing I would say. I wouldn't play the you owe me card with God. Probably not going to turn out well. Right? All right. Number two. The second reason I believe we miss God's greatness. I believe, and this is, this is a little different. But I believe many people in here have recognized God's greatness. We just decide to ignore it right I believe that we recognize God's greatness but we just won't admit it because this is the deal if we admit it if we admit he is great then we have to submit to his greatness right If he is who he says he is, and if he is great, and he is powerful, and he has made a way for us to come to him, and we admit it, then we have to submit to who he is. And there are people in here, many people, I believe, in here today, who God has revealed himself to you very clearly, but you refuse to admit that he has. Because it's easier to ignore the obvious and live the way we want to live than it is to recognize his greatness and say, you are worthy of my praise and my worship and so I'm giving my life to you. The book of Romans in verse, uh, chapter 12, verses one and two tells us this, that we should offer our lives as living sacrifices. And it says this, this is our reasonable act of worship. What he's saying is, in light of all that God's done, the only reasonable thing for us to do is to submit our lives to God. 
And some of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we have seen the greatness of God. Let me ask you this. How many of you could walk out on a clear night, look up at billions of stars, billions of stars, and think that just happened? How could we do that? I was riding again early this morning, watching the sun come up, and I'm looking at the sun. It's been doing that day after day for millions of years. How could we possibly believe that that was an accident? There are people in here today who we look at the stars, we look at the sun, we see all of these things happening, and still somehow we think that we're an accident. And what I would tell you is that you're not. God designed you, God created you, and he created you for a purpose, and it's his purpose. And listen, if you can walk out on a starry night and look at billions of stars, you can go to the ocean and look at the horizon. You can go to the mountains and look at how high the mountains are. You can go to the Grand Canyon and look at that. You can look at all these creation things that God has made by his hand and look at it and go, it just happened then I have got a leprechaun riding a unicorn out back and I would be glad to sell him to you right now. It is crazy. And somehow we bought into this notion that somehow, man, somehow there was an explosion and this was created. What? Listen, I know there are people who are a lot smarter than me, but can we use a little bit of common sense? Has anybody ever seen an explosion create anything other than destruction? No. Why? Because God set it up so that explosions cause destructions. They don't put things together. Nobody's ever gone. Let's build a house. Okay, get some dynamite. One of the things that I loved when I was a kid, man, I loved to put together model cars. I love to put together cars. I love to put together airplanes. I love to put together dinosaurs. I had some dinosaur models. Man, I love that. I was going to be an archaeologist because I wanted to put real ones together. And I love to take pieces and make something whole. But you know, I had a thought. I was like, maybe we should put together a model in a different way. And so I thought I would test out the Big Bang Theory. And so this is what I want to do. I have with me a 2009 Chevy Corvette Coupe. Chevrolet fans, woohoo! Ford fans, they hate you. Um, and I've got this model, and look, it's all in pieces. And so this is what I would, I want to do. Look, look, I got tires, I got rims, I got all kinds of stuff. All of them in there. There we go. And 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 now this is what I want to see. I, I really, I think that we can put this thing together a lot quicker than if we took glue and we took paint and decals. I think we can get this done. Something else I really liked when I was a kid was blowing things up. So let's see what happens. Hmm. Hmm. Nothing. How about that? Number two. Hmm. All right, last try, last try. Number three. 
more try. Hmm. Nothing. Crap. First of all, we can't blow up stuff in states for high school. But really, that firecracker goes off. How many of you think, really and truthfully, that this thing is going to actually be put together? Anybody really and truthfully think that? That this thing is going to be put together? No. Why? Explosions don't create things. And this is what I want you to remember. Other than this firecracker not blowing up. Is I want you to remember that when you look at the creation, it wasn't some cosmic accident. It was under the direction of a very sovereign God who created it all. And whose hands shaped, who spoke it into existence. And you and I, when we look at creation, we should be reminded of his goodness and his grace. That is very obvious for us to see. My question to you is this today. Are you willing to admit his greatness because it's all around you? Are you willing to admit his greatness? The third one that I would tell you today is, is that it robs us of seeing his greatness is oftentimes life experiences. When you look at Nehemiah, this guy was living in captivity. He was living in, uh, in, away from his home. He had been taken captive. And yet Nehemiah looked at God and he realized that God was the one who could deliver him and deliver his people. Nehemiah, listen, he was in a foreign nation. He was a cupbearer. Who knows what a cupbearer does? They taste the wine before the king drinks it because if it kills them, he doesn't drink it. What an awesome job. And yet he realizes, I'm not some accident, some, the, the result of some cosmic accident. God created me for a purpose. He created me with something in mind. And he goes to God and he recognizes his greatness. And he says, look, I'm not going to look at God because I've been dealt a bad hand because things have happened in my life. I'm not going to look at God as the one to be blamed. But I recognize his greatness and I realize that he is not the one to be blamed, but he's the one who can save. Who delivers, whose hand is great enough to deliver us. See, I believe when tragedy comes, when bad life experiences happen, one of two things takes place. We either look at God as this merciless tyrant. And we're like, God, why? How? And we harden our heart. Or we recognize that we live in a world that's been marred by sin, that's been marred by, by, by the destruction of evil. And we recognize that God is not the one who desires to kill us. God is the one who desires to heal us and to save us. And so many people in here, our understanding and our idea of God and who he is, it, it has been just this marred, or the, the, the way we view him has been shaped not by his word or by who he claims to be or by all the good things he's done in our lives, but by the things that have happened that weren't a great experience. And so we've taken God and we've labeled him based off of life experience, not based off of what his word tells us or what he's already done for us. We either view him as a 
vindictive tyrant who mercilessly causes pain, or we view him as a God who becomes our Savior and who mercifully rescues us from our troubles and from this world. The decision we have to make, the decision we have to decide upon, is which way do I view him? When life experiences don't seem to indicate that he's good, what do I go back to? Do I base it off of life experience or do I base it off of the truth of his word and the truth of the grace he's already poured out on my life? I want to show you a video real quick of someone who had to make that very decision. Is he a merciless tyrant or is he a merciful God who delivers us out of our troubles? Y'all check this video out. Prayer has always been such a big part of my life. Even as a little girl, I can remember um, sitting on the side of the bed with my dad and actually praying for um, the guy that would one day be my future husband. And I'm glad that I was taught about that prayer. I've relied on it. There's been often times when I had nothing but prayer and God was there, even all the way up till the last few years. And I still prayed. And God was working things out. And life had begun to get really good. In fact, so good that um, last year on our anniversary, my husband and I actually renewed our vows. And very shortly thereafter, we were given a great blessing. We just found out that we were expecting our fourth child. We were so excited about this new little baby, we started planning immediately. Where was this baby going to sleep? And the kids, of course, their first thought was, is it a boy or girl? What are we going to name that sweet little baby? And making plans what they were going to do for that little brother or that little sister. But then there came a moment that I don't think I will ever forget. I had called the doctor's office that night and thought that something may not be just right with the baby and they had told me to come in the next day just for reassurance just so I could get a look at that sweet life and um, know that everything was fine and not to worry. We went in that next morning and I'll never forget as long as I live laying on that table. The ultrasound screen was up near the ceiling and I could see that and and I could see the tech sitting next to me and I just remember the desperate desperate cry of my heart I I wanted to see that heartbeat more than anything and I just remember saying come on where is it where's that heartbeat and I could look over it and I could see the tech's face that she was worried but she couldn't say anything and she left the room and then all of a sudden The doctor came back in and said he was sorry. I don't think I've ever felt hurt more than I have at that moment. I never realized how much I could love somebody that I'd never met. I felt that God had turned his head for a moment. Because I knew it wasn't from him. I knew he didn't cause it. But where was he? Why? Why would he let that happen to my sweet baby? And that night, I did all I could. 
the only thing I could do. Everybody went to bed, and I just remember sitting there in the dark and being lost and knowing that the only thing I had left to do, I opened my Bible, and I got my journal out, and I began to cry to God. I got mad at God. I, I wasn't nice. I prayed and gave him my whole heart and actually wrote down and I, I journaled that prayer. Why, God? Why? How could you? Why'd you let that precious life inside of me die? I want my baby back. Of all the areas of my life, why did you take my baby that you gave to me? How could you give me something to love just to take it away? God, you know how I love. I love like you. I love with everything I am and everything I have, and I hold nothing back. Have I not hurt enough? Why more? How much can one heart take before it completely breaks? Be serious, God. What is this? Another painful life experience to check off just so that I can relate to others? You've got to be kidding me. You've been there the whole time. We've walked this road together, and I have remained faithful, even through all the crap. I never turned away, and how could you? Throughout my entire life, you've been the one and only constant, the only one that I could totally depend upon. And at some point, everybody that I've loved has turned their back on me. And all the while, you've held me tight and you've whispered in my ear how much you loved me and that you would never leave me through it all. Being told at 16 that if the cancer didn't kill me, the chemo would. Not to mention all the hurtful life, events, the family, drama, and everything else. I've remained faithful to the one who has remained constant. My Heavenly Father that created me, loved me to the greatest extent, and now what? This is it. You better give me something for I am out of here and I am done. Very shortly after I finished praying, um, I sat there just very quietly with my Bible wide open and just flipping and turning and God spoke Isaiah 54 to my heart and I opened it up and it spoke directly to me. It started off seeing barren woman who's never had a baby. While I have three children, I just lost a baby and for that most part I was barren for just a moment. It continues on with you're ending up with far more children than those childbearing women, and God says so. That spoke so much to my heart. Over the years, I've worked with a lot of girls, and most of them have called me mom. And on top of my three children, I just lost a child. I wasn't completely barren. I have three children that I'm grateful for, but I had just lost that baby. Then it goes on to say, clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large, spread out, think big, use plenty of rope, drive the tent pegs deep. You're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. And that so spoke to us. 
for years, Sean and I have felt the desire for foster and for adoption. One of those things where Sean and I both know that we can mess a lot up, but the one thing that we're good at is being mom and dad. And there's so many children out there that just need a safe haven and to be loved on. Then it goes on and it says, don't be afraid. You're not going to be embarrassed. Don't hold back. You're not going to come up short. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that right after I read that scripture that all of a sudden the hurt went away and that life was just peachy again because it wasn't. It took a long time and there were a lot of fences to mend in my heart. When the due date rolled around, it was really tough and it hurt probably just as much if not more. But during that time I had to always go back to those three questions that I knew to be true. Is God good? Yeah. Is he faithful? Is he sovereign? Completely. I would imagine that for everybody in here, we've been in that situation in some way. Not in the same exact way, but we've been in that situation some way. Where we looked at it and we're like, God, really? Really, God? Is this really how it's going to be? I know in my own life with my wife Susan, when we were dating, she was diagnosed with cancer. Walking through that and looking at it going, really God? Six months later, my cousin was diagnosed with cancer. He died four months later. Just this week, my aunt was diagnosed with lung cancer. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, really God? Wednesday night, I'm in the emergency room with my five-year-old. He was screaming with his stomach hurt now. I didn't know how serious it was. But the thought crossed my mind, knowing that we were going to talk about this. God, something was wrong. Could I trust you? Would I trust you? And I kept getting the same thing that I told you over and over again, and I have to apply to my own life. So when I wonder, when life experience would tell me something different, I have to go back to the fact that God is good. God is faithful. And God is sovereign. The reality of it is I will never understand completely the ways of God. Scripture even tells us not to lean on our own understanding. And the question again is not, can I understand? question is, will I trust him? He's good and he's great. That simple prayer we prayed when we were children, God is great, God is good. That is the reality. The reality is that you and I can go to that God in prayer. And even when we don't understand, we can, we can tell him. Even when we're angry, he knows, tell him. The reality of it is, people, listen, he already knows it's not about us giving him information. It's about us trusting him enough to share our deepest feelings with him. Are you happy? Tell him. Are 
Are you worried? Tell him. He is a great, big God. He is higher than the mountains that you face. What does that mean? He is above. And while you may be staring a mountain in the face, not knowing, not knowing what's on the other side, you have a great, big God who's already seen the other side and who knows and who has your best in mind and who works all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Will you trust him? Let's pray.